Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Guys, today we have an absolutely awesome discussion with the Los Angeles Dodgers head athletic trainer, Neil Ramp. And Neil is going to get into a lot of really super cool stuff, guys. Going from college to the pros, what the differences are, pros and cons, if you may. Uh, things that, you know, new challenges that he faces on a daily basis. Uh, we get into the role of technology in Major League Baseball. And the role of the players' union and how those two work together. And then we get into some great talk about self-evaluation, uh, which is something that they do constantly with the Dodgers and, and some great stories from Neil on this. I hope you guys enjoyed the talk as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Neil, thanks a lot for being on with us today, bud. Thanks for having me, Jay. Yeah, so I think that probably since this is your first go-around up there, let's. I think that personally and, and a, a lot of people that I know that one thing that they would really like to ask everyone that goes from college to the pros is what's the big difference? Uh, there's, there's a number of differences. I think in college between your position, whether it's, you know, strength and conditioning, athletic training, um, there's almost this parent model that at times you can almost say I, because I said so at times. And in the pro model, because I said so may not fly. So you have to figure out your different ways, both in college and in pro, you have to find ways to connect with the athlete. But at the end of the day, the college athlete maybe is a little more inclined to follow. There may be fall, fall out with a head coach or whatnot and, and disciplinary action, which that piece isn't necessarily there in the pro model as much that you need to try to figure out what is going to be your connection point and have the little victories and the little cells for them to get their results because you're not really going to make a lot of stuff mandatory. You're not going to send a manual home. You're not going to do a ton of testing as much as you would maybe in a college model. Um, you know, you obviously have agents involved in certain regards. There's a lot of outside influence as far as outside training centers in the off seasons, or even now a lot of the agencies have their own training facilities that guys will go train at. Um, get medical services from. And so the, the big piece I would say a difference from college to pro is, is um, that it's that, that you're going to have a lot of, of kind of little victories and little cells to get the buy-in from them. The other thing is they're maybe on a little higher pedestal and whether it's the money or the access to different things or people um, kind of trying to find ways to get an in with them. You know, it's, it's kind of, there's a saying, you can't be a prophet in your own hometown, right? Mm -hmm. So there's always the, the expert who's outside the organization who may 
have a machine that works better, that's going to fix this problem, this training program is going to be the best. And so, you know, you're definitely filtering through a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, the other thing, quite honestly, the shock for me was I, you know, in working in the college setting at the University of uh, Minnesota, basically I worked with Cal with a lot of the Olympic sports, University of Arizona, anywhere from football to men's basketball, to volleyball to baseball. I jumped around over the course of my five years with different teams. Usually you have more than one team. So your demographic has a little more variance instead of the 20 to 35 year old baseball player. Um, so, you know, that variety uh, isn't quite as there. Um, the other thing that I really enjoyed in the college setting was you kind of can play that favorite uncle role, that big brother role, whether it was to the male or female athletes. I'm starting to get a little bit older to where, I mean, we have a player right now, our best player is a 22-year-old kid, so I'm almost old enough to be the big brother, favorite uncle role there a little bit as well as you, you get up in age and you're in these professions for a little while. But I would say those, those are kind of some of the differences I've noticed over the last 10, 15 years. So that's all, that's freaking crazy, and that's interesting stuff. And one other thing that we touched on with our past conversations is the involvement with the Players Union, especially in, uh, when it comes to referencing monitoring, which is something that most people, when they hear my name, they associate with you know the Omega Wave and all those things. But that's something that, depending on what the union rep says, might be a little difficult. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's kind of a growing pains in the pro sports world right now, generally speaking, is what is going to be used to help the athlete versus what's going to be perceived as being incriminating to the athlete. What can you monitor while they're at the workplace and what's a privacy issue of what you're trying to monitor when they're out of the workplace? You know, in the Omega Wave piece, you know, we've actually implemented that a bit throughout the course of this past year. Um, you know, during spring training, there was a, a union meeting, and interestingly enough, the compliance dropped off after the meeting. Um, you know, we've played around with Catapult this this past season, just managing some loads. Um, so not knowing where that's going to go, and actually for MLB, this is a CBA year, a, a collective bargaining agreement year for baseball. That stuff's all going to for sure get tabled. Um, you know, the wearable technologies, um, what you can do with instrumentation, the modus sleeves, checking arm, you know, uh, metrics. Uh, I think Zephyr's already kind of an approved MLB scenario. I think Catapult may be getting on board there. But then figuring out what the agreement will be between the union and the organizations not knowing what the outcome is going to be there. And kind of the conversation that you and I had was, in the event that stuff's not there, what do you still go back to to get the results you're wanting to get, whether it's the relationships and the rapport with the athletes to help get that buy-in, whether it's a voluntary scenario that you truly are there and have their best interests in mind. And if they can start to learn some of these different models um, and getting some good habits early, that could be the difference of them adding three to five years to their career and being able to take care of their families just from a longevity standpoint. You know, something I kind of talk about a lot is the old model has kind of been the, the sports medicine, almost triage model and the strength and conditioning model as being kind of two separate entities. I'd almost be willing to throw now, there's really a third model. Like you hear about high performance directors, medical directors, 
strength and conditioning directors or coaches, I really almost am, am pretty adamant about having like a wellness position on these staffs with regards to just flat out lifestyle stuff. You know, more and more you're getting more stuff thrown on your plate. You know, your staffs aren't growing pro- proportionate to the information that's coming. Mm-hmm. You know, who on staff is grinding through the sleep literature for you? Who on staff's grinding through, you know, whether it be micronutrient testing, food sensitivity testing, um, literally, you know, uh, your, your team sports psych scenario. So who's kind of where, where are you having all of these scenarios play out? Because, again, at the end of the day, you're a human organism. Inputs and outputs, stressors. They don't know if they're going to get T-boned through a red light, they're getting chased by a lion, or they went 0 for 4 with four strikeouts. What are their coping strategies they have in place um, to be able to show up the next day, hit a baseline, you know, whether you start to have homeostasis and allostasis conversations, and what does that look like with how you get out of that triage reactive model into some proactive interventions. You know, in another conversation you and I talked about, is kind of that interplay between diagnostics and intervention. That's where really the, the monitoring falls in is a diagnostic of you're gathering input to see where you're at with someone. That's the same thing with, with uh, orthopedic special testing, with performance testing, whether, you know, Nord board's a big thing or, or the Omega Wave stuff. Those are your diagnostics. What's that interplay between your diagnostics and in your interventions of what you're going to be doing with those athletes? Um, so that's just kind of how that stuff kind of comes full circle. I know I just went off on a total tangent there, Jay, but no, that's perfect because it, it comes back and it's so funny. You know, everybody talks about all this stuff about, you know, the HPDs and, and how they're running this, that and load monitoring and readiness monitoring. But the, the conversation always circles back to, well, what are you actually doing with it? And how are you communicating with your athletes? It's, it's definitely the, the thing, and I, I catch myself probably like everyone else in our professions, of paralysis by analysis. And again, what are going to be your actionable steps with it? I think everyone in these professions, if you're pushing and you're growing, you're making mistakes. And you're going down a road only to find a dead end to have to come back out to figure out where you want to go again. That's what happens if you're a doer in these professions that we're in. And so it's just a matter of kind of fine-tuning that and being in sync with your staff and figuring out where that goes. You know, we've talked about the evaluation process as well with with a lot of this stuff of of where you take it. But a big thing for me, something that should never go out of style are fundamentals. You know, fundamentals, no matter which field you're in, sports medicine world, manual therapy world, nutrition world, um, you know, strength and conditioning world. It's the same methods are many, principles are few, methods may change, but principles never do. So if you take that, there's a lot of people that are kind of maybe building castles in the sky without having really addressed that fundamental foundational base work appreciation of human physiology, biomechanics, anatomy, the nutrition piece. You know, a lot of those things, you can get a lot of mileage out of being very good at the basics. Oh, no doubt. And the craziest part of all of it is typically you fix one of those basics, like you sleep for eight hours or 
you know, your nutrition plan goes from, you know, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, Burger King to maybe something you made at home. Then all of a sudden, the rest of that circle of these issues tends to kind of even out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the big piece of that is giving the athlete some ownership in the process as well for them to be an informed consumer about themselves, to give them ownership in it and not show up to the weight room and say, hey, Jay, make me an athlete or, hey, Neil, I'm going to get on the table. Fix me. You know, make it be a, a active part of, of them being an informed, active consumer in the process. It, I think that's a big paradigm shift as well as just really giving them ownership in it and us as coaches and therapists and, and allied healthcare professionals, wherever you may be in this of, of giving them some ownership in the process. And that helps with the buy-in and the see-through, you know, and if you want to talk about team culture, whether it's college pro sports, those are the people you want to be a part of that culture. And I hate to say it, but if they're not in on, they're not in on the buy-in of having some ownership, Maybe that's not where they need to be. Um, yeah, autonomy is a very, very big thing, especially the further you run down the rabbit hole with this generation that's coming up, I think just because of this, you know? Amen. I mean, it's, listen, I, I'm 37. I'm just as bad as an 18-year-old dang thing. But, you know, the instant gratification, them always having a say, it's like, even with our programming, it's like, listen, there's like the four or five things that I want you to do. Yeah. The rest of them, as long as it kind of fits in this pathway, pick it. And then what they end up doing is looking at it and saying, you know what might help me better when I'm doing that? And it's like, good. You know, because whether it works or it doesn't, if they think so, probably does. You know, another piece there is, one thing that I lean on a lot too, looking back, and I'll get the numbers wrong, but taking something as simple as John Brady's Precision Nutrition Level One online course, and if you look at that as a quote-unquote nutrition course, but if you look at the second half of that, as far as the behavior modifications piece, and you think about if you give someone one thing to do, you're looking at mid 70s compliance roughly. If you give them two things to do, that percentage drops. If you give someone three things to do, your your compliance is almost non-existent. So you got to kind of pick and choose your battles, especially nowadays, like you said, with such a distracted population. Mm -hmm. It's a we live in a very distracted world, and as far as just being present and mindful through these, you got to pick and choose those battles more, you know, more meticulously now more than ever because we are working with a very distracted population of what are you, if you had to pick one thing and build on to add a second thing to build on, you know, us as coaches have to figure out because you know, what good is it if you want a hundred percent compliance on this grand scheme of things, you know, to get accomplished, but you have zero compliance in that process. So that's where the kind of the give and take, and that's where you turn this science into the art. And how you connect with one athlete may be very different from another athlete in that compliance process. No doubt about it. And that's, that's such an awesome point. And it's brought up, you know, you mentioned Cal. Like we were talking the other day and he's like, yeah, if you're trying to coach somebody up with three points on the squat, good luck. It's never going to happen. You know, and it, it all circles back to the same thing. Yeah, we are distracted, but for the most part, 
if you're trying to coach technique or change behavior or whatever it may be, it's all synonymous really at the end. You need to focus on one thing at a time and when that becomes behavior, then flip the coin, you know, move to the next one. When we talk about, like he said, the process, like in, enjoying or embracing the process of it and knowing that, you know, even if you take something as simple as rehab and they want an end goal of F and they want to go from A to F, but things go astray as the coach, as the therapist, as, as the, again, the, the healthcare professional, if things go astray from A to F, cause you're trying to get to the end result, you don't know if things went astray at B, C, D or E. If you go A to B, make your progression. B to C, make your progression. C to D, you have a hiccup. You followed the process and you can put your thumb on where you're at in the process and where you may need to reroute things. Yeah, that's, that's an absolutely fantastic description of all of it. And I think more now than ever in college, people are starting to become afraid of the process. Because everything has to happen like today. Result driven. Yeah. You have to put 20 pounds on a you know, 6'10 kid that's coming in at 200 pounds and you got to take another 20 pounds off another kid. Put six inches on a kid's vertical. You know, help a kid post up in the block better. All of it wanted tomorrow in yeah. a summer session or two, right? Yeah, meanwhile, yeah. these kids, it's the first time away from home and they have no idea how to pick food at the freaking calf let alone how to go to class by themselves yeah. let alone what they're getting thrown at in class i mean good grief that's it's interesting you say that you want to talk about another difference in the pro model to the college model the college athlete is getting pulled training tables study tables actually showing up at class passing their classes getting in the weight room being at practice doing their individual sessions all while probably being away from home for the first time, figuring out how to, how to have time management skills, how to prioritize. The big thing, this is what I kind of explained the college and pro model to at times as well. It depends on your setting. Nowadays, the college setting, they are getting a little more specialized. You have what, men's and women's basketball now? Uh, men's basketball, swimming, and then I oversee a couple of people with other teams. Okay. So even with that being said, how many athletes would you say you're roughly in charge of? 45 at Richmond. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of schools where you're going to have well over 100 kids. Mm -hmm. And you have to do the best you can with the time you have with those kids in that window. And I kind of almost ex explained the the college model to the pro model of you know, you're you're it's a factory, you're pumping out some volume and some numbers whereas we have the luxury of having almost a 12-hour day with these guys um, and their job is baseball right now with as far as me being in major league baseball and they're getting paid to play baseball so if that means they're on the dl they're being paid to show up do their rehab take care of their stuff get through again their progressions and get them out on their way um you know and you were talking about the challenges i remember the college strength coach days again taking men's basketball players at arizona to the grocery store and saying throw in your cart what you normally get and then you go back and you have the conversation of, you know, maybe some other options. Something as simple as when you grab your eggs or your milk, do you know that there's an expiration date on these things? Yeah. It's, it sounds silly, but it's just stuff that they've never, never even been taught. No. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. 
So even having those conversations, and that's those are some of the things that you can get mileage out of in the college setting. Now I'm in a completely different model to where, like I was saying, we have a 22-year-old kid on the team who's our best player, and it's his first major league season, and he'll give you that 10,000-mile stare a few days that I've never had to play 162 games in 180 days in my life. Like, how, how do you do this? Yeah. You know, how do you show up every day and go? And, and that's where anything from a blister to an ingrown toenail to a shin splint can turn into a big deal in a hurry if it's not a you're doing the right thing to take care of yourself day in and day out. Yeah. So. No, that's really neat. You know, and it's, it's another really cool difference that a lot of people, like, would go over their heads. I mean, your best player is the age of the average college senior. Yeah. And it's the co- your best player has the behavior patterns of a typical college freshman, which is really fascinating. Which is interesting because we have the luxury of a time gap of this player, he's going to be good for a long time, mm-hmm. being mentored by a 37-year-old who has been a good player for a long time already. And so he's a guy who's investing in his future. He, he's got the foresight. He's learning what it means to be a pro. He's embracing the process. And that's why I'm going to put my money that this guy's going to be a, a good player for a long time in this league because he's an educated consumer about his body. He's in, embracing the process. He's asking good questions, and he's got the discipline to do the work. Um, I have a quick, quick story about that. Uh, good friends with uh, the Denver Broncos head athletic trainer, Greek, Steve Antonopoulos, and uh, John Lynch, you know, was a safety for the Broncos for years, all-pro guy, and Greek would say, you know, he was always in the training room every day. We never really worked with him, but he had his routines of what he knew he needed to do for himself day in and day out. And Greek would say there would always be all these, you know, rookie secondary guys that would say, hey, man, I want to do what John Lynch does every day. He's been an all-pro for how, you know, how long in the NFL. And he said, sure, shoot. And these guys would follow him like a lost puppy for a week or two, maybe three weeks. Some of the guys would be there for a month, and they would just fall off. They just didn't have the discipline and the foresight to do what it took day in and day out to be ready to do your job and have that quality, sustainable, long career where you can, can have some success over a length of time. Yeah, you know, and I think that the other thing that's funny is when the kids come back from working with the pros or being at the pro camps or, you know, when they get their opportunities, you know, that they can take their advantage of. I think the best thing is that so many people are preaching the same messages and they come back and they're like, you know, sorry, you were right. And it's like they tell us the same thing when we're with our triple A teams or when, you know, when I was at this camp with the, you know, with with the Lakers or whatever it was, they were talking about, man, you're going to eat what? You know, you're going to bed when? You're going out where? And it's like, yeah, well, imagine that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) These two words called maturity and wisdom, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 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 Instead, they just look at us like old fart. I mean, those are the two words that they think instead. Yeah. But, you know, talking about the process, I think that one thing that we talked about the other day that could be really helpful to people 
is the developmental process of, is us as professionals. And one thing that people, listen, it, it's scary. And I think a lot of people are afraid of doing those internal evaluations and those personal evaluations like we were talking about. So if you wouldn't mind touching on that story a little bit, I think that this is one that could be, could be really, really good for all the listeners. You know, I think that's where the growth happens and that's where the magic's at. You know, and you talk about people where, the, where that growth happens is outside your comfort zone. So whether you have some tough looks in the mirror and have some tough conversations with yourself or whether you have a good enough group of peers that you can be in a safe spot to have some truth serum with each other to come out with it on the other side a better professional. You know, I, I had the luxury of having an amazing mentor and friend, um, Ken Crenshaw, the head athletic trainer for the Diamondbacks. And, you know, we, we had formed a relationship with the Navy SEALs, um, talking to those guys, and they're, they're a special group of dudes, which makes it seem so trivial that we work with guys playing a game, you know what I mean? But uh, we, we've really adopted some stuff from them. And, you know, as the discipleship gets out in different areas, what we would do at the end of every spring training is you kind of almost have a strengths, weaknesses, comment section for your 25 staff members. And you, what was really good about it is at the end of the day, you had 25 of your peers sit down and say, these are what your strengths are, Neil or Jay, these are what things, you, areas of improvement, maybe some things you can work on and just some general thoughts or comments. And at the end of the day, you had 24 of your peers' perceptions of you. And it was really good for two reasons. As an evaluator, you had to be very mindful and, and think about the power of your words. Is it a personal attack? Are you staying objective about it? Are you giving them, are you, are, is the information you're giving them are you wanting to be a part of a solution for them and to help them, you know, and it's kind of the whole thing of, of compliments to, to weaknesses. The last thing you want is someone blowing smoke up your ass about everything you're good at, but never getting any of the constructive feedback of what you need to actually improve on, you know, and it's easy to glaze over on that. Hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it vague, but to say, Hey, you know what? You need to show up with a more consistent attitude every day. We're, we want to make sure we're getting the same guy every day. Um, and going through that process. So what could be better than to have 24 people that spend time with you give you input on your strengths and weaknesses? You know what? And if you get a one-off where you're like, ooh, that's a little bit out in left field, take it or leave it within the context of it. But if you start to see a pattern to where you have a handful of guys say, hey, this is an area of improvement. Maybe it's something you already know about and you're working on. Or it could be an absolute blind spot that you have that you, you don't know that people have helped bring to light for you. And at the end of the day, you're getting this evaluation. And now really the onus is on you of saying, I'm going to take it upon myself to improve as a person, as a professional in this area, to come out on this, the, the other side of, again, a better person and, and professional. And so that, that's been a really valuable process you know, that, that we had in, instilled um, in Arizona that, you know, we're, we're getting in place in, in, in our organization and just being able to have the, that same constant evaluation. You know, it's a long day. Baseball's a grind. It's the end of August. You're driving home at 12, 1230 at night. 
and, and you have some time to think about it. It's like, you know, where are we at? You know, another thing that, that Ken always told me was, you know, be careful how much credit you're willing to take. You have to take equal blame, right? So if you look at our team this year, we set, Jay, a major league record on the most DLs in a season in the history of Major League Baseball this year. Now, the next word I'll throw out after saying that is, and I'll take full responsibility because that's the position I'm in now. But another big word that comes in there is context. You know what I mean? And you talk about the evaluation process. And the first thing you have to ask yourself is, why is that? You know, did you inherit some off-season surgeries that were going to add days to what you inherited, so to speak? Are there the unpreventables where you have a guy run into the center field wall, have an AC sprain? And so when you look at those ones that are the unavoidables per se, we had a, a, another athlete get in a car accident, have a, comp, a, a, a complete forearm fracture, plates, off-field incident. Um, and so what your thought on that group is, you know, could you have done anything on the front end? And if not, what are you doing to get them back as safe, effectively, and time-sensitive as possible? You know, we had another player, foul ball, off his shin, break his leg, middle of March. He just went on his rehab assignment yesterday for the first time. So again, on those long drives home, it's, am I covering my bases? What are we missing? Is there anything else we can be doing for this athlete? And then you look at those preventable ones. You know, I'm a, from a soft tissue standpoint, are there usage issues? Are guys getting overused? Are guys, um, are, do they have windows where they'll get overused? What's your communication with your, your coaching staff of, hey, if we're going to ride this guy hard this in this window, what are we going to do to put some credit in the bank at some point? Because he's redlining right now and something's going to happen. He's going to hit threshold. So having those conversations and just constantly having that evaluation process of, am I doing everything I can to help give a manager 25 healthy guys at the end of the day? And am I communicating with the right people to be able to make that happen? Well, that's awesome. Now, question about the the the, the questionnaire, the answers with, that you guys did for each other. Were they anonymous or did you have to put your name on it? You know what? That's all part of the growing pains process. We, we fumbled around with it because we went into um, – and again, we took a lot of that stuff from the SEALs because they would say – you know what, if someone came into, if, if they had to, to go into a raid or whatnot, and they went into a room, and from a tactical procedural standpoint, if someone got, say, shot, injured, whatever, and you saw one of your friends tactically not do what they needed to do in that operation, that's not their fault. If you, had, if you knew that was taking place and you didn't let them know that, that's on you. That was kind of their mindset through that process. Oh, and they were a pretty tough group, you know, and, and we still have a good relationship with those guys. And we'll constantly, it's funny how, again, it makes you feel so trivial what you do because we just work in a game, right? And those guys, it's a life or death scenario for them. But we, there's a lot of parallels of what you can do just from a, a staffing standpoint uh, and being a good, they talk about being a good leader and a good follower. Do you have leadership? Do you have followership? And, and that's where the old model is, is someone's always the leader and you always have the followers. Now you'll have, you know, the different pods of this is maybe where your content expertise is. This is what you're going to lead the group on. And then you're going to kind of fall back in line when the next topic comes up that someone else is going to be the leader on. But back to the anonymous piece, 
we started this process in saying, hey, here's the staff members on the strength and conditioning side or on the athletic training side. Rank them one to ten. Who do you think's the best? Who do you think's number ten? You know, and maybe that would light a fire. And we thought, gosh, that turned into a little bit more of a hierarchical, maybe added some confrontation. And it was still not at that time. What it ended up being is people tended to be more honest on an anonymous thing. And sometimes you could figure out maybe where it came from or not. Mm-hmm. And again, what happened is as the years happened and you get 24 people's input on you, it's very intimidating and you feel very vulnerable to read, wow, there's 24 people who think I have things to work on. But what happened is as that years happened, it's like you're fighting bigger and better fights every year because you're improving. You know what I mean? All of a sudden the battles that you're fighting are a higher level battle than maybe some of those fundamental personal or professional skill set scenarios. And so what happened is at the end of the day, and, and what we would do is you do the, you would do the uh, evaluation and then you, you would get it. You would have a, a sheet of paper that would have 24 people's input on you. You get a chew on that for a month or two. And then what we would do is we would follow back up and say the major league staff would meet with the higher level minor league staff and the higher level minor league staff would, would meet with the lower level uh, minor league staff and you would come full circle. Hey, what'd you think of your eval? You know, and guys would maybe at times get a little combative because it would be a tough pill to swallow. Other guys, you know, and that's where the evaluator and evaluatee process is very interesting. Are you mindful in your ability to evaluate and, and give evaluation to someone? And on the flip side of that, as the evaluatee, are you open and willing to absorb and receive people's constructive criticism or, or uh, comments about how to help you out. You know, it says a lot about someone. That's where you can go into a whole Carol Dweck mindset book approach of growth and fixed mindsets. And then at that point, you can, again, figure out, you know, is this person a good fit for where we're going? You know, is, is it not a good fit? Is this something that they're wanting to be a part of or not? And it just starts to pick up some speed. And again, those are the types of things that you can do to really create some pretty cool culture. No, that's freaking awesome. That's really neat. And I like the whole leader follow, bringing everything back together. With I could see how the ranking system could ruffle feathers. You uh, know what? And you know what? That's what happens. You know, there's the saying, again, doers make mistakes. You know, like, oh, yeah. Note to self, we probably need to reformat how we go about this. But there's only one way to find out, right? No doubt, right? At some um, point, you got to swim with the sharks. Yeah, yeah. But no, Neil, this has been absolutely killer, man. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I know you guys are in a pretty big run right now. So being able to snag you for half an hour, man, I, I can't thank you enough. No, I appreciate it. I'm always always fair game to, to talk shop, Jay. Anytime, right. buddy. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. We'll be in touch real soon, bud. Absolutely. Thanks. Right. Thank you. Can't thank Los Angeles Dodgers head athletic trainer Neil Ramp enough for taking his time out. You know, during the stretch run here to talk with us, some absolutely killer stuff in there, guys. You know, obviously the whole pro versus college thing I find extremely interesting. And then when we get into the uh, the whole idea of self-evaluation, I think that that's something that a lot of us need to do better at, uh, me included. I guess you could say me especially. 
Uh, you know, Neil sharing these stories and talking about these things, you know, and, and going through this process just shows the, the bravery that, that he and the staff there have. So can't thank him enough for sharing all that. And guys, as always, if you enjoyed the conversation, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Just trying to get great information from great coaches and practitioners out there to the great people working with athletes around the world. So guys, please tweet it, Facebook, whatever it may be. Uh, get it out there, spread the word, and we appreciate everything you guys do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.